You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you today. All right, let's try again. Was a little... All right, good morning, everybody. That's better. That was, that was really good. We want to welcome everybody watching at home, either now or later on down the road. We're really glad you're tuning in with us today. Uh, we're starting a new series, as Danielle already said, and uh, I'm pretty excited to jump into the series. Now, I, I got to find out where you are, because one of the benefits of being the pastor is I get to read books. I get to study a subject weeks, sometimes months ahead of time. So God has been kicking my butt for weeks now, and now I get to share that with you. You're welcome. And so here we go. I'm going to be, somebody came up to me a couple nights ago and, and shook my hand and gave me a hug and said, man, one of the things I appreciate you, about you is your, your vulnerability. You're willing to share with us the ways that you're struggling with us too. So hi, my name is Matt Nickerson. Thank you. And I have a shoe problem. And I've never had a shoe problem in my entire life, but I woke up to one after the quarantine and went, how did I get here? So... Do you have a favorite pair of shoes? Anybody in here? The ladies are like, yes. The guys are like, whatever. Yeah, let's talk about the Jordans in your closet, but we'll get to that later. But anyway, so a, a, a few years ago, uh, I was visiting my parents. My dad's like, Matt, what do you need the most? And I said, well, dad, I'm trying to get back in shape. I really need a pair of running shoes. Really, really bad. And uh, he said, let's go to the store. I'll get you any pair you want. And he took me, I'm thinking like we're gonna go to Dick's. I always look for like the clearance one because that's what I buy. He takes me to like this nice fancy shoe store. He ends up buying me these really, really nice New Balance running shoes. I don't remember what they cost, but it was like $130 or something crazy. He's like, man, I wanna take care of you and bless you, you know, blah, blah, if you're gonna run, I don't want your feet to hurt. Here are those shoes. Hands down, this is my tribute to my shoe. Hands down, the greatest shoe I ever wore. I wore them to the point where you could smell them three feet away. <laughs> I wore them rain, snow, sun. I wore them to where the, the padding in the, the bottom of the shoe was flat and no good anymore. And I wore them to where they were clearly dirty, gray, muddy, kind of that nasty, funky look. And I'll never forget, during my sabbatical a few years ago, uh, Rhett Morehouse, our former worship guy, he said, hey, you want to start like working out together? So we went over to Me Fitness together and I wore them because they were like my favorite shoes and I was never going to take them off. And about halfway through my workout, he starts making fun of me. He's like, like, what are those from like 1985 or something? And I cried a little. Because here's the thing, I'm not a shoe guy. I don't care about shoes. I don't, I'm not like, I'm not the guy who goes out and buys fancy shoes. I go out and if they're on clearance, I buy them. Now, I grew up in a home with parents who'd grown up very, very poor. My mom tells stories about getting cardboard to put in her shoes that were hand-me-downs from her sisters in order to continue to wear them. Any of you remember those kinds of stories? My dad tells stories about carrying cinder blocks from the trucks on the road up to the house for construction guys when he was 10 years old so he could make like a quarter an hour so he could help put shoes on his brother's feet. So shoes are a really big deal to my parents, but we don't, can, like, we don't accumulate shoes. My, parent, my mom is always like, if I ever say anything about, man, I was out running or working out, man, this shoes give me a blister. My mom's like, I'm buying you a pair of shoes. Like, they're those people, but they're like stockpile shoes people. So I don't know how I got to where I am today. But let me tell you quickly, I have a shoe problem. So here we go. Ready? 
About three years ago, my mom said at Christmas, what do you need? And I said, you know, I just finally got rid of my trail running shoes. And so I said, can you buy me a new pair? So we went to TJ Maxx. These are a nice pair of Merrells that she got me. And I love them. I love them so much. You can start to see some wear and tear on them. But these are now my, um, my speed golfing shoes. And I love to go in them because they're so nice and comfortable. They keep my feet dry. And so then um, I had finally wore out that pair of shoes. And so my mom was like, what do you need? I was like, well, I need a pair of running shoes. Those are trail running shoes. And trail running shoes are different than running shoes, right, runners? And so I needed a pair of shoes. And we went to Dick's and these were like $130 shoes that they had on sale for $25. So even though they were half a size too big, I had to buy them. <laughs> and um, you could see that these have seen a better day. Like, and so through the quarantine, I logged, I don't even know how many hundreds of miles on these bad boys, as you can tell, and they're pretty nasty. So then I went home in like June and I was visiting with my parents and my mom's like, what do you need the most? I said, well, these shoes have got about, at that point, 450 miles on them, which is probably way past when I should be wearing them. I actually used them to cut the grass this weekend and they were digging into my feet. And so she said, well, what do you need? I said, well, I need shoes. She said, okay, so I'll buy you shoes. So she bought me a new pair of Brooks running shoes, but they were so weird looking because it was my choice, like blue and gold. I was like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Notre Dame fans in here, anybody? That's kind of green and blue, right? Not really blue and gold. Okay, anyway, so Michigan colors, Anyway, so I got these, and I was like, ooh, those are so nice. I'm gonna keep those really nice, and then I was on Facebook Marketplace one day, and I saw somebody selling another pair of Brooks shoes because they were really comfortable, and they were technically a half size too small, but they were only wanting $25 for them. And so I said, well, I'll wear them so that I'll finally, these are like really close. I'll get rid of these. I'll wear these, but I'll keep these like to just break them in. I'll break those in first. And uh, so I got these little Brooks shoes. I don't know how this is going to work here. And, um, and then um, uh, this was about two years ago. I went into my closet and realized I forgot about these. And um, I bought these. These are trail running shoes. Actually, my mom bought me these. I didn't buy these. Um, these were trail running shoes because um, when I got these, I didn't want to get them dirty. And so I got these to wear, but the thing is, these are actually too small and they hurt my feet all the time. And so the only time I wear them is like with casual outfits and I can never understand why I wear them because I always take them off and go, these hurt my feet. So why am I wearing them? So then I was visiting with my family. You think we're done yet? Oh no. <laughs> I was visiting with my family in August and uh, my parents were like, what do you need? I'm like, well, I'm running a lot and, and I'm literally throwing these away and these are already about halfway through their life and then I'm gonna go to these, but I'm gonna need a backup plan in the middle of the winter and I don't know if I'm gonna make it to Christmas as many miles as I'm logging, so would you buy me a pair of shoes? So I have an unopened, still tags on pair of running shoes that I'm waiting to wear next and oh, by the way, guess what's on my Christmas list? Do you think I have a problem? Some of you are like, I don't understand what the problem is here. Um, that seems a little bit like my life. So I started this book, which I'll get to more of in a second. It is called Satisfied. And the whole idea is, am I satisfied? Now, every single one of these shoes has a purpose. And I just, so that I feel better about my life for a minute, these are going in the trash today. These are going to give away this week. We'll stop there. But anyway... So I'm reading this book, and the pastor named Jeff Mannion, he read a book that challenged him to get rid of five things a day, every day for six weeks. And I was so convicted that I just started looking at my stuff, and I went, this isn't going to be that hard. He said it took the first couple weeks till really he got to anything even somewhat painful. But I don't know about you, but it is so easy in America, and I am a sucker for a clearance. I am a sucker for a sale. 
But I don't know about you, but do we need everything we have? And is there anything driving you that you don't know? It's funny because I've been asking myself, why, when did I become a shoe guy? I'm not a shoe guy. Like, how did I get here? And I don't have a great answer. It's just that I stopped paying attention. Do you know what that feels like? All right, well, as we get into today's message, let me take my, this is just the running shoes, by the way. Take my shoe collection. We won't talk about the rest of them. I want to show you the picture of the book, Satisfied. I want to encourage you to grab it. I want to encourage you to maybe find a copy. Uh, we tried to order a bunch of copies to have for available for you, and literally we can't find them. I think it's a supply and demand issue and the breakdown of everything because of COVID. But it is digitally out there, and it is audibly out there, and it's been really good for me. So here we go. Today's text is going to be focused in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the very first part I want to show you is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Tim, or Paul says to Timothy this, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's like love and marriage. You can't have one without the other, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read my Bible, I think to myself, do these people really know what my life is like? I mean, they have no idea what it costs to have my house payment. They have no idea what it costs to uh, do business in America and have a car, to keep the car up kept and all that stuff. They have no idea how busy we are and stressed we are. So like sometimes I think the Bible doesn't understand my world. And then I dig deeper into history and I dig deeper into the scriptures. What I find is the same stuff they're dealing with then is the same stuff we're dealing with now. When Paul wrote this to a guy named Timothy, he was a young protege, a guy he was ministering to, and he was sending him to a church in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was one of the greatest cities of the ancient world, so much so that guys like Alexander the Great spent time there. It was a really big deal. Lots of commerce, big city. In fact, Jeff Mannion, who wrote the book that we're using kind of to go through in this series, he did a real short video kind of helping you understand what Ephesus would have looked like by actually taking you there. I want to show you that clip before we come back up and look at what Paul says to Timothy in relation to Ephesus. Go ahead and take a look. In the first century, Ephesus dominated trade along the Aegean coastline. That roads stretched to the east and brought in product overland. And ships anchoring at the harbor brought in goods from throughout the Mediterranean region. Uh, in today's terms, Ephesus could be likened to a, a Hong Kong or a New York City as a center of commerce and trade. Uh, travel through the triple archway into the Agora, the marketplace, and let's explore this international shopping center.
Welcome to the Agora of Ephesus. It's pretty massive, measuring about 370 feet by 370 feet, roughly the size of two football fields side by side. Now, shops lined the perimeter of the Agora. In the center was an open-air courtyard. And between the shops and the courtyard, something called a stoa, or covered walkway. These columns held up a roof system that kept uh, rain off the shoppers in the winter and then during the summer provided shade during the hot Mediterranean days. Now this uh, area, the stoa, the covered walkway, it's difficult to get a sense of what this would have felt like to shop here because after all, we're standing in ruins. But uh, just across the Aegean Sea in Athens, Greece, there's a reconstructed stoa. It's called the Stoa of Attalus. And it too had a covered walkway with a courtyard in the middle, shops lining one side. And this gives a sense of what this area would have felt like. And something else we're lacking here, of course, is product. In the first century, there would be an enormous amount of goods coming and going as boats docked and then shipped their goods overland, or goods came in from overland and then shipped out into the Mediterranean. A trip to the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul gives a sense as you view shop after shop after shop with an endless variety of goods. Also gives a sense of what this area would have felt like as a commercial center. And you could buy anything in the world here. I mean, you could buy spices from the Far East, jewelry from Egypt, the latest fashions from Rome, a purple cloth from Thyatira, black wool from Laodicea, all could be found here. And the Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey, travels to Ephesus. He spends more time in this city than in any other area. And when Paul leaves, Shortly after, he sends his protege, Timothy, to shepherd and guide the Christians who were living here. And it's to Timothy that he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it mean to be content? Here's my working definition. I reserve the right to change this throughout the series, but here's my working definition. To be content means to be satisfied with what we have. Here's the key phrase, whether we get more or not. To be satisfied with what we have, whether we get more or not. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 6, and he says this, for we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be, say it with me now, content with that. You're like, food and clothing and a couple pairs of shoes, Right? So what is the danger of discontentment? My guess is some of you are living it. I know so many people in this community that are living literally paycheck to paycheck, struggling to pay all of their bills. Now, some of us have legitimate bills. It costs money to go to college. It costs money to have a house. It costs money to have a car. I'll just be annoying for a minute, okay, because I'm telling you, I'm not asking you anything. I'm not asking myself, I promise but did you have to go to the college you went to? I mean, I get it. If it's done, it's done. Did you have to buy the car you bought? Did you have to buy as much house as you bought? How much consumer debt is eating at you right now? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you find yourself fighting with your spouse on a regular basis over money? 
For the last 50 years or so, money has been the number one cause of divorce in America. And it's not because money itself causes divorce. It's just that we get so overwhelmed with money that we just start fighting with the people that we love the most. But it doesn't have to be that way. We brought nothing into the world. This is what Paul's trying to help Timothy understand. You can't take any of it with you when you leave. I heard once, and I've never been able to verify whether this is true or not, but I heard once that Alexander the Great wanted to be buried in in an empty um, tomb or empty casket with his hands up to show that all that he had accumulated was going to be left behind. So this is what Paul's trying to get to Timothy. Look, if your basic needs, food, clothing, and, and in, probably in Indiana, you'd have to say shelter. If you have those things, then be content. And he goes on in verse nine, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, most of us don't say we want to get rich. But many studies have shown we all wish we just had a little bit more. In fact, one study showed that most people thought if I just had 3 to 5% more than what I have right now, then I would be happy. Except then when you get 3 to 5% more, guess what it is? It's 3 to 5% more. And then guess how much it is after that? It's 3 to 5% more. And then how much? 3 to 5% more. And then how much? 3 to 5% more. And it just keeps growing. Because the more access to resources you have, it doesn't bring contentment. Contentment can only come when you're satisfied where you are, whether you get more or not. It's secondary. And already you're like, great, glad I decided to come back to church today. This message is so important, not just because God's word deals with it. It's important because if you're not careful, it'll ruin you. It's a trap. And it'll plunge people into ruin and destruction. I've read many billionaires um, who, as they're coming to the end of their life, guys like Warren Buffett and others, saying, I'm not going to leave my inheritance to my grandchildren because I want them to work hard and learn how to provide for themselves. Very few good things come from wealthy parents leaving a lot of money to their children. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not that a parent shouldn't ever help their children get shoes. (laughs) Don't quit on yet, mom. But when you leave your children a lot of money, bad things can happen. There's actually a passage in the Proverbs that gets repeated by Paul in the New Testament. It says, if a man doesn't work, he won't eat. And the purpose of this proverb is God intends for us to work hard. He intends to take care of us, but he intends for us to work hard. And so if we don't work hard, then we shouldn't eat. And God has built into the system a natural consequence so that we are driven to work hard. Does that make sense? So if a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent leaves this massive amount of money, or if a parent or a grandparent never allows the child, be them an adult child or a young child, to feel the weight of responsibility, then the person never changes. They never feel the system that God has built that if you want to eat, you better get up and go do something about it. And then what happens is we become, honestly, when I say lazy, I don't mean lazy like we sit around. I mean lazy like we stop trying hard to figure out what pleases the Lord. 
And so money is unbelievably deceptive. Paul actually goes on in verse 10 and he addresses this. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's just stop there for a second. Many of you have heard that money is the root of all evil, but that's not actually what Paul says. It's the root of all kinds of evil. In fact, you could probably argue that pride is the root of all evil if you want to go that route, but his point is more that when you love money, when you're chasing money, when you're chasing stuff to find happiness and joy and contentment, it ruins your life. You'll never have enough. And so many, many evils come out of it. Some people, he says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith even and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, some people actually hungry for money have wandered away from Jesus himself. So I, I don't want to get really deep or anything here. If you're visiting with us today, some of what I'm saying may not make sense with you. I'm guessing most of what I said is connecting with you, but we are told scripturally Jesus is our great reward. Jesus is our guarantee. Well, the Holy Spirit's our guarantee to get heaven with Jesus one day, a righteous king, a righteous ruler who will do good by us and take care of us and there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. So tell me, what in the world could you ever get that would be worth giving up Jesus for? Or perhaps the way Jesus says it, what does it benefit a person if they gain the entire world but lose their soul? The, the reality for most of us is we just don't even realize that we're on a track that is leading somewhere. I have friends, and so if this isn't you, I mean, this is not like, literally, I've said this before, somebody came up to me and was mad because they felt like I was talking about them. I'm not talking about any of you. I have somebody in mind from my other church and none of you know them, so mm, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm joking, I'm joking. But I know people who own multiple homes. And here's what they do on their vacation time. They travel to their other home so they could fix it and upkeep it and do all kinds of things to it. And they come back and they're not rested. They're not relaxed. They're constantly on the phone trying to manage it from afar. And my heart breaks for them. It, it's not evil to own more than one home. If you have that kind of financial blessing, praise God. I know so many people, there's a very generous family in our church who even has sent my family and I on a vacation to a place they own in, in Florida and just said, here, take it. You can go to stay in it. So like, praise God for some of you who has the resources. But I tell you, sometimes having more doesn't create the blessing you want. Sometimes having more creates more stress. C.S. Lewis once said something like, do you know that everything you own requires attention? So the more you own the more attention you have to give to it, which leaves less time available for the people that you love the most. But when you buy things, don't you have in mind something else? I'm gonna buy my kids these toys. We're gonna go and buy this thing and we're gonna have all this great time as a family and sometimes that's true, but then you spend all your time changing the oil and fixing it up and getting it taken care of and cutting this and shaping that and working on this and all of a sudden you get a little bit of joy, but you get a whole lot of work that distracts the potential for ongoing joy along the way. Is this connecting with anybody? Man, I hope so. That's why I wanna ask this question. How do we actually move toward contentment? Like, let's say you're being convicted. What do we do? Well, I think <clears throat> Paul says it best in, excuse me, First <clears throat> Timothy chapter six, verse 11, he says this, flee from all of this. Like, you can't get much clearer than that. Flee, run away. Like, okay, so I'm just gonna run away from all my stuff? Well, maybe. 
I've decided to take up this challenge. And I'm not being real legalistic, but I am going to try to stick to the five things a day, every day for six weeks and see what happens. I'm going to try it. So I'm getting bags of clothes and shoes and other things to gather up and say, okay, not just how do I declutter my life, but what if somebody else could use this stuff more? So I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to run from? Now I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, would move in this place. I'm down front in the middle while we're singing. I'm just like, God, please stir in this place. What is it you sense that God is telling you you need to run from? Is there somewhere that you're finding discontentment and it's leading you to frustration and irritation and anger? The other thing that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, he says this, don't just run from something, but run to something. Pursue righteousness, he says, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So as you're running away from something, you got to run towards something. So that's the second question you need to ask yourself. What do I need to run toward? Now, the cheesy answer is run to Jesus, of course. But in the practical, everyday life, if you find yourself on Facebook Marketplace, like I have been guilty of, constantly scrolling through, hey, what can I buy that somebody else is getting rid of? Or if you find yourself on Amazon going, do I want this? No. What about this? No. What about this? No. What about this? No. Or maybe it's Walmart or Target or, or Marshalls or TJ Maxx or I don't know where you shop, wherever you prefer to shop. And you find yourself just going and wandering. You ever notice that Target strategically puts that dollar aisle right in front of the door? How many people have been led astray? I'm just kidding. It's so easy, isn't it? But you can't just go in and say, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to spend money. But what are you running towards? I want you to go back with that verse. Put that list, the verse just, that we just had up there. I want you to look at this. You're going to run towards righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. I mean, you can plug all of these words into, let's just ask this question. If you were to say spend 10% less than you're spending right now, what could you do with some of these words in your everyday life? Is there a person you know who's been going through a hard season? Could you buy them a date night? Is there somebody you know that's, I don't know, maybe they need a new chair, a couch, and you went over to their house and you're like, man, maybe you could give them a gift. Maybe you know a pastor whose shoes are wearing out from running too much, and you're just sitting around thinking, you know the brand you really need to try? Okay, I don't need shoes. Please don't buy me shoes. But is there anything in this list that you think, you know, if I stopped spending my money on that, I could have godliness and contentment, a package deal. I want to show you a picture that first picture of my favorite shoes of all time actually came from another picture. Here it is. <clears throat> my wife gave this to me in 2014 after this little guy was born. And um, she gave it to me in this kind of old style picture here. I didn't know if you could see this, so that's why I put that up there. And she put Psalm 127, verse three, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. You don't know my story. My wife and I went 10 years and we um, couldn't have children. We lost a baby along the way. 
And then God gave us this little guy in 2009. And then, surprise, a few months later, this little guy um, was created. And uh, even though in the loss of the baby, my wife lost her fallopian tube, surprise, uh, this guy was born where there is no fallopian tube. And I don't, I, everything I've ever heard from doctors is we can't explain it. It makes no sense how the little baby gets created and gets where he's supposed to go without that. But here he is. And this hangs in my hallway at the top of the stairs. You know why that's my favorite pair of shoes? It's not because they're so comfortable. Those brooks I just had up here that I'm throwing away later, those are pretty comfortable. It's because those shoes remind me of something bigger. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, people are watching. And especially the little people in your life, they're watching. They're watching what you do and what you value. They're watching where you spend your time and your money and your effort and your energy. They're building their life view based off what you're training them in, not just in what you tell them with your words, but what you're backing up with your actions. And you wanna know what? My kids are gonna watch the next service and they're gonna hear all of this. I'm not proud of the example that I've been giving them lately. So I'm gonna do better. And I thank God for his grace that he continues to reveal his word to us so that um, we can course correct before things go off the rails. Such a simple message. But I want to remind you before we close today, why is any of this even relevant? And Paul addresses all of this. And here's the answer. Because what is coming is more beautiful than what is here. That's his simple answer. What is coming is more beautiful than everything that is here. Notice this. I'm gonna set this up before I read it, okay? The very next few verses, what Paul does next is he gives Timothy a view of heaven. And then he says, Paul, the reason you can run from earthly stuff and run towards these things is because what you're running towards is bigger, better, and more beautiful than the shiniest thing you can find here. Here's his words, ready? In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you, Keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. In other words, if I could just summarize everything Paul said, Timothy, run from possessions, run from discontentment, run from these evils, run towards Jesus. Jesus sits in unapproachable light. Can you fathom that for a second? As I said earlier this year, in a series we were looking at God, the, even the angels closest to God cover their face and look down and away from him because his light is so beautiful and so powerful and so overwhelming that in his presence, the most powerful angelic beings are like, yeah, even I can't handle that. And so for any moment, if anything is tempting you to turn your eyes away from him and turn to it, Oh, my friend, stop today. Turn around. Turn back before it's too late. And I'll close with this last piece of wisdom that Paul gives 
So what do I do with all that I have then? Paul says it really, really well. The very next verses. He says, command. Notice the word command there, by the way, as if I have some authority over you. I I don't feel like I do, but this is his word. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Two things. Everybody in here is rich, even if you don't think so. And I know that blows minds when I say it, but go look at the world today. Most people are living in concrete blocks, houses, Most people don't have air conditioners or heaters. Most people don't have indoor plumbing. Most people don't own cars. Most people don't have food or clean water. So he says, if you're rich, don't be arrogant and don't put your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain. In other words, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. The market crashes, you lose half your retirement. If that's where your hope is, then your hope isn't in the king. If whoever ends up finally winning this presidency, if it hasn't already happened, however that works, I don't know, I'm not making a political statement, but if that stresses you that your finances are gonna be all messed up, man, don't put your hope there. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You're like, well, that didn't go where I thought. Yeah, it's because you don't understand God then. God has given you everything for your enjoyment. So shoes, when you understand that they're from God, can have a glorious place in his presence. Because my hope isn't in the shoe. The shoe doesn't make me any faster. Trust me, I've tried. My hope is in Jesus. So having a nice pair of shoes that don't hurt my feet, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil with that. Every time I put nice shoes on, I go, thank you, God. And thank you, God, for generous parents who keep supplying me with more shoes. But God, thank you. Thank you. But then he also says, verse 18, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Remember what Jesus says, it is better to what? Give than to receive. So when I understand God's heart, that everything he's given me is to be repurposed, the way that I connect with the heart of my father is to understand, man, everything he's given me is for for his glory, so thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I sit on nice furniture. God, thank you, God, I live in a nice house. Thank you, God, I drive a nice car. Thank you, God, whatever it is. But God, is there anything else you want me to do? Is there anywhere that I'm accumulating stuff, trying to be happy and, and, and fulfilled and content in it, God? And, and, and how do I then change my direction, change my focus to align my heart with yours and say, God, how do I do more? How do I be more generous? How do I join you in being like you? And here's the thing, and I'm gonna close with this verse. First Timothy chapter six, verse 19, Paul closes with this. He says, in this way, they, that's you, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If I had 10 more minutes, I would just preach out of that text. But I think it speaks for itself. Preach (laughs) Preach it, yeah, go 10 more minutes. Who cares about the kids in the other room? (laughs) Listen, seriously though, I want you to get this. Paul is literally taking a slew of verses out of the gospels and he's summarizing them for you. Like, for instance, Jesus actually says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And one translation says life that is truly life. See what he's doing there? In Matthew chapter uh, six, Jesus actually says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead store up treasures in heaven 
where those things can't be touched because wherever your treasure is, your heart's gonna be there too. Do you see what he's doing? He's taking all these things and he's smashing them together and he's sharing them with you and he's saying, look, here it is because you can't take it with you. It was all a gift from God. So realize all the stuff you got here, it's all staying behind. So then instead of accumulating, ask yourself, God, what can I do to partner with you in making this world more like heaven? Now, what I wanna do is I wanna end in prayer for you. I'm gonna ask God to stir in this place. I'm gonna ask you to pray for God to um, convict you and help you and, and lead you in this. And listen, in January, we're gonna offer Financial Peace University. It's Dave Ramsey's course on how to handle money. And uh, we're gonna start taking signups over the next few weeks. And I just wanna encourage some of you. Here's what happens every time we do a financial series. We get a whole bunch of people that sign up and not a whole lot of people that show up. And it breaks my heart because I know this is real for you and God wants to give you freedom. And I'm gonna pray that right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that in Jesus Christ, God, even as I stand up here confessing and joking about my shoes, thank you that in Jesus Christ, even silly things like this, God, um, are washed clean. I don't stand before you condemned. I don't stand before you judged. I don't stand before you ashamed. But I do, Matt Nickerson, I stand before you convicted. Convicted that there is a better way, another way. And so God, I pray for all of my friends in this room, those I have not yet met and those that I've known for years now. God, I pray for those watching at home online right now who are feeling convicted. God, I pray that you would stir in us. Teach us what it is we need to run from. And God, teach us what we need to run toward. So God, help us, help us. In the name of Jesus, to nail this one, to get this right, God, that we might experience life that is really life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.